0: By the powers vested in me, by the Federal Communications Commission, I command you to get on the microphone in a serious manner and continue this
1: broadcast. Welcome to Cairo Nights. I'm Spike O'Neill. That's right, folks. I'm sorry. I'm back. Another dose of this for you. If you were lucky enough to be here today from 12 to 3, you heard Jack Stein and I... Uh, doing a little midday action tonight. We're going to get a little deeper into the subjects we covered then and go a little farther afield. Uh, at the board tonight, Kevin Deers, Kevin, how are you, my friend? Doing great, man. How are you? I don't know. A little punch drunk, a little tired, a little, little sleepy. The boss bossed you up. I got a little I got a little fun last night. Yeah, you know, Kate Stone is with us. We're going to talk about some of the horrific stories her, her news reporter hat uh, uh, you know requires her to cover. Yay. But I hope, I hope we get a chance to talk to a little bit about The Springsteen show last night because I know what was my I don't know fifty some fifty fifth show it was Kate's first
0: it was my first I would love to have yeah
1: well let's let's do this let's not end on sexual predator housing let's start there and we'll we'll end with we'll kind of you know just shake our snow globe of our brain and talk about the Springsteen concert last night so as you've heard on Cairo News Radio on numerous occasions uh, Kate Stone has been tasked with. Bringing you the latest details on the potential housing of sexual predators, and I always, I always, Kate struggle on how to frame the description of these individuals because they're they're convicts, they're convicted felons, um, they're in rehabilitation status. Um, I learned through Kate Stone's reporting that McNeil Island, which was at one point a a, a prison is now a transitional rehabilitation facility for those incarcerated for uh, sexual crimes. And when folks were on McNeil Island, because it was as secure as can be, when they are transitioning through rehabilitation from McNeil Island, uh, they're deemed to have made progress in curbing their criminal tendencies, for for lack of a better way to frame this out for people, and they have the constitutional right to be re acclimated into society that right. that creates problems for the rest of the community because they've got to go somewhere. Yes. And what? And Kate, I, I don't mean to paraphrase for, cause you've done so much work on this topic. And first off, I commend you for having the, I don't say the courage to this, but the stomach to do this. Cause this has got to be a very unpleasant story to have to dig deep into.
0: It is. But I also, ha- I also recognize that there, there hasn't been a lot of coverage beyond the surface level This is happening in X community and people are understandably upset about it. But digging into the real process and kind of like how we got there has been something that I kind of went down the rabbit hole on. And and believe me, I want to stop talking about this as much as everyone else. But there's just been so many developments with it, especially recently, that it just keeps coming up. And today being a perfect example, there's a major development today. Uh, for people who have not heard of Tanaino, it's a small, small community in Thurston County, rural Thurston County. And they were the site of what has garnered quite a bit of attention uh, with regards to housing these sexually violent predators, which you can actually refer to them as sexually violent predators. That okay. is the state definition okay. for these individuals.
1: And, you know, and these are people with. Mental mental conditions
0: by definition by state law they are considered to have a mental condition or mental. It's a
1: mental illness. I mean, it really is. And one of the things you know we were talking earlier on in the week with Jack Stein during middays about this particular topic, and Jack brought up a good point about folks who are um, former felons who have served their time, who have paid their debt to society, then have the right to be reacclimated into society. But when someone is, by mental development, a mentally ill sexual predator, you know, much like any other addiction would be. An alcoholic is an alcoholic for life. A drug addict is a drug addict for life. Is a sexual predator also a sexual predator for life? They have a different level of reacclimation into society than a guy who robbed a convenience store or stole money from a bank or his business. There's a, a different level of community concern, as it should be.
0: Absolutely, and no one is discounting the community concern because I can't imagine a community where there would be no concern about this. However, it is as we've talked about their constitutional right yeah. to be reacclimated in the community as long as they can be shown and a court decides that they are no longer a threat in to the okay. community, and conditions can be created to protect the community and. That is the purpose of the civil commitment. That is the purpose of sending them to McNeil Island is to hopefully lower that risk because the other option is just releasing them straight out of prison, straight right. back into the community. And so this is sort of a point where they they want to treat these people to see, you know, maybe they can't be cured necessarily, but they can at least function in society and not commit more crime. So that's the whole idea behind civil commitment.
1: So these, these houses like the one in Tenino that we just learned today is not going to happen. Yes,
0: that was the big announcement today. It came as something of a surprise even to Thurston County officials. I talked to the Thurston County commissioner today and he said, yeah, I was kind of surprised by this. But Supreme Living, which is the company that was that had a contract with the state to manage this farmhouse in Tenino that was supposed to house up to five of these sexually violent predators, made a very quiet announcement on their website that they would not be moving forward with this. And well,
1: it's funny because you know we learned about uh, we learned the fact that it was going to be going to Tenino, was surprised a lot of people. Correct. And then we learned that it's not going to happen in Tenino, surprised a lot of people, correct. which makes you wonder about the entire process of selecting uh, these these facilities and where they're going to be placed. I mean, learning through Kate Stone's reporting, um, I learned that you know the state and the counties who have created these or and I created them. That's the wrong way to frame this. The predators come from specific areas, and those areas are then tasked with the responsibility of taking them back into society.
0: Right. So Thurston County currently has 11 sexually violent predators on McNeil Island. As such, according to the state law that only passed a couple of years ago, they are responsible for housing 11 sexually violent predators. Not necessarily the 11 from their county. That's the idea. But if, for instance, their victims live nearby or something, obviously they're not right, going to be right. put that's- right back into that
1: i hadn't but, even thought about that but that's actually good planning
0: yeah obviously they're not going to create that kind of a situation because that would be very traumatic for everyone it's but, better that
1: they're far away from their victims as possible of course yeah
0: but they have to have 11 spots shall gotcha. we say 11 spots supreme living was supposed to be five of those spots it is now not happening however the county still has the state still has to find 11 spots in right. that county so Tonino so is obviously celebrating a victory today, and I actually talked to one of the community members who led the opposition against this facility. They brought up a lot of points, and even the Thurston County Sheriff mentioned that he was concerned that they only have one deputy in that area, that they wouldn't be able to respond Bye. in time, that kind of thing. And I talked to one of the community members, and she kind of described... She found out at about 2.30 this afternoon. We found out about 3 o'clock. And she told me kind of how she felt hearing the news.
2: I feel completely overwhelmed, honestly. I feel like I have cried, laughed, been frustrated and excited. But I am so excited and cannot wait to see that for sale sign go up at that house.
0: So that's Kendall Tuttle. She's been on the front lines of this since the community essentially found out, which some of them claim they had no notice that this was going to happen until Supreme Living was already moving in and preparing. Wow. It is it is important to note, no sex offenders actually moved into this property right. before the announcement came that this was not happening. But they they had a community meeting in late January where it was pointed out, this is next to a ski lake that's very popular with families in the summer. Okay. It's next to... A, child, a children's playground, which was not built at the time that the the state did the investigation okay. into this property. So, obviously, a lot of concern from the community. Obviously, a lot of excitement that this is not happening. However, this problem is not going away. Or right, I, no, I shouldn't wh- say problem. This situation is not going away. And I asked her, Kendall. I asked her, well, if Tanino is chosen again perhaps a different location but same community you know what because it's their constitutional right and
1: yeah for the for the predators right. to be acclimated in the society
0: right and and because of the state laws it's written and we've talked about this on the noon show the 500 foot rule the 500 foot radius the school and child care facility so an lra which is these housing options the less restrictive alternative housing options for violent sex offenders cannot be within 500 feet of a school or child care facility. So that really limits the options. Of- That's why they're
1: always out into the peripherals. They're out in right. the rural well, areas. As of a
0: couple of years ago, because that, that rule was only established a couple of years ago, as was the county sharing rule. It's called the fair share principle where we all have to share. But I asked Kendall, I said, well, what if Tanino, what if another location is picked? And this was her response.
2: I do understand that these people need to be released. I think there needs to be better supervision. There needs to be better security. There needs to be a lot of changes in place before I would feel comfortable having them in any community.
0: And I can't really argue with that.
1: I can't either. Well, And that's another point that she brings up, kind makes a great point that you brought up earlier in the week, and that this is a business model for a lot of folks. The state pays these properties, these less restrictive housing alternatives, LRAs, they pay them so much money per predator to house these folks in in what should be safe buildings, safe areas. But there is no kind of requirement to have an LRA. You're not required to have any kind of psychological or you know psychiatric training on how to uh, with with sexual predators, how to uh, recognize tendencies that may be leading to you know relapsing into their horrific ways of life. There's no security requirements. There's no uh, monitoring gaining fencing requirements. These people are can, can make quite a bit of money in housing sexual predators in an LRA and not have to set up any real guidelines that will keep the community safe.
0: Right. And the facilities themselves also don't have a lot of guidelines. And Kendall did mention that as well.
2: They weren't putting in new gates. They weren't putting in new fences. They weren't putting in, you know, enough chaperones or security. There was so many flaws in the entire system.
0: So, I mean, obviously a victory for tenino tonight yeah but definitely a lot more needs to be decided on this issue as we've talked about over and over and i will say this spike there was supposed to be some major movement today regarding state lawmakers and sex offender housing i can't say anymore but it's expected to come out tomorrow so okay. this is this fight is not over and there's definitely going to be more information coming down about this. Well,
1: one of the things we get to do here at Cairo is keep the community informed about the things that matter to them in their life. And I can honestly tell you that prior to your diving into this story and giving as much information as you've been able to uncover and share, you know, as somebody who's raising children in this community, um, and so many people can relate to that, I now know so much more about what the state does and doesn't require to give these people their pathway back into citizenship. And, uh, you know, as a citizen, it behooves me to be more vocal. And speak to my representatives about what I want them to make sure happens. Right. So thank you for the work on this.
0: You're welcome. And I learned a lot, too. And honestly, I hope that if even one person now understands the system a little bit better and is more informed when they go to their local officials or their state officials and says, hey, I understand this system. Now, how can we change it? Then I think it's all worth it.
1: Well, I think a lot of people are more informed. And that's how we make people and our elected officials accountable. Is that we let the citizens know what's going on, what's not being done, and gives us the ammunition we have to make them and hold them accountable, our elected officials.
0: Right, and I know I know it's a sticky topic, yeah, so, well, and yeah, I know no one likes talking about this, but it is important.
1: It so. is, and, and so let's change gears because I know you worked a long day, and I don't oh, want to send you goodness. home. And, last night, Kevin, I don't know what kind of music you have. If you can grab something, Bruce, you take your time. I gotcha. Matter. Okay, last night, um, and we I've talked about this ad nauseum. I apologize. I've given you my take on the show my my pre-show I had convinced myself I, I wasn't gonna go to this show I didn't have tickets to this show the pricing dynamic for the show was it, it really broke the hearts of a lot of Springsteen long-term Springsteen fans but I got a pair I got a pair of three tickets actually from a dear friend who gifted them to me and I took family with me and we went to the show last night and I was I was I talked myself into not worrying about missing it and I cannot believe how lucky I was to be there. Even from somebody who's been – I've seen Bruce for the last 45 years. Every time he's played anywhere within 500 miles of me, I try to get there. Um, but Kate Stone made her first ever trip to a Springsteen concert last night. That's
0: so cool. I did.
1: Uh, and so what – eh, old man kind of going no. through the motions? What do you think?
0: I, I, I mean, I grew up with Springsteen. He's the same age as my dad, and my dad is a big Springsteen fan, so I grew up listening to that. I mean, born in the USA, I have every right. song memorized. Honestly – I was so impressed by his stamina. Yeah, it was a three-hour concert, which you're telling me is short for a Springsteen it concert. Been, it may have been the
1: shortest Bruce show. He I've did ever not seen.
0: pause. The songs just went one after the other. There was not really a lot of downtime. There was not a lot of lag, and the man just jumped around, and he was having so much fun. You could feel the energy coming off the stage, and I'm just thinking to myself, "Okay, I pay." A lot of money to see concerts, to see bands have an opener and then come out for an hour and then go in and then do an encore for maybe 15, 20 minutes. If a 73-year-old man can bounce around on stage rocking out for three hours, I would like to hear the excuses of all the other musical acts (laughs) who can't seem to manage a 90-minute set.
1: I don't think they're getting paid what he's got paid. Well, well. To be fair, I mean, you know, <laughs> a lot of them are. You know, I, yeah, I, I'm not true. pointing any fingers at like a, you know, Gaga or Taylor Swift or whomever. I saw Selena Gomez. She was wonderful took my daughter. I'm not, I'm not that weird. Um, she was fantastic. Sure. You know, she put on a great show. My daughter had a blast. I've seen nothing Britney wrong Spears. With Selena. I, nothing wrong at all. The kids her. very, very talented. Yeah. I've seen Adele. She didn't play for three hours, and the tickets were pretty damn pricey. Right. I can promise you that.
0: And. You can tell that he loves what he does. And if the rumors are true, and this is his last tour, I mean, it was high energy. It was heartwarming. It was touching. I mean, he ended on an acoustic song, which is fascinating to me because normally, you yeah. know, bands. And I kept thinking it was going to end every yeah. time that everybody yeah. raised their hands up in the air. And, and the rocked out. On, really yeah, yeah, sing along. I thought it was going to end, but it didn't. It just kept going. And it was I mean, it was wonderful to see him doing clearly what he loves and the people who love him being so connected. Yeah,
1: he um, he uh, To Kate's point, he came out and played seven songs before he even opened his mouth to talk. Yep. And that was brief, right? As he intro another song and he and he paced it so well. And when he broke for Encore, it's like, you're right, usually that's the end of the night. Right. Um, and my brother and I were looking at each other and we took my, my daughter's boyfriend mm. to, to his second Bruce show, but the first one with my brother and I. And I'm like, how many Encores? And John says, oh, two. I'm like, nah, five. My brother goes, nah, five. I was like, "So, so the under is four. You we went about over or under. Bruce did seven encores. Seven. The, Kate man,
0: the man's a legend.
1: Well I'll close with this. I know we're running out of time. Springsteen's got a quote that I love. It's at every moment on stage, I don't just time just doesn't stand still. It goes in reverse. Bruce says every minute I can spend on stage, I get younger than I was when I started. And that's how you do it to your 73. It really showed. Hey, Kate Stone, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you. Great job on the story on, thank you. on Tonino and, and thank you, this.
0: everyone who listened. I know that's a tough subject.
1: Well, we appreciate your help. It's Kyra Knights. I'm Spike O'Neill with Kate Stone. Matt Deer. Oh, excuse me, Matt, sorry. Hey. Kevin, Kevin, I know it's hey, old habits and I'm tired. Kevin Deers is on the board. We'll be right back.
0: Messages can get me, bleed. Reels on when I'm moving around the place. I check my look in the mirror. want to change my clothes, my hair, my face. And I ain't getting nowhere. I'm just living in a dump like this. There's something happening somewhere. Baby, I just know that there is
1: Gee, I recognize the song. I just same
0: um... way. Welcome back to
1: Kyra Nights. I'm Spike O'Neill with Kevin Dears.
0: Whose version is this?
2: Uh, her name is Ruth Moody. Awesome. Yeah, it comes from an album called
1: These Wilder Things.
2: Nice. She has a beautiful voice. She
1: does. <sighs> welcome back to Kyra Nights, everybody. We talked a little bit about this... Uh, When the story was first breaking, but now the story is in front of the U.S. Supreme Court, we're talking about student debt, student loan debt relief more specifically. Uh, President Biden, uh, you remember last year, uh, gave a half a billion dollars of student debt relief to students who had – and basically this was folks who had been paying off student loans, and those loans were put on pause – During the COVID-19 pandemic, part of the emergency uh, actions the presidency took, both under the Trump administration and the Biden administration, was pausing student debt repayment schedules. Well, President Biden went one step further and took it upon himself to sign an executive order, presidential powers, to waive not entirety of student debt, but $10,000 of student debt, $20,000 of student debt for uh, people who had various uh, different types, different levels of student debt, different fi- uh, sources of student loan financing, and whether it was a household or an individual. Anyway, it's, this has become a national point of contention from the folks who are, hey, I paid mine. Why should I help you bail out paying your student debt? And I can completely understand that point of view. Uh, then there's the element of, hey, this is America. Work harder. Lift yourself up by your bootstraps. And I can totally see that point of view as well. Now, President Biden uh, undertook this effort, and the right will say he was buying votes from, from Democratic constituencies who had student debt. And every time someone got student debt relief, that was a bought vote for Joe Biden. Sidebar, I will counter that with this. Everything every politician ever does for any constituency is buying your vote. Okay, whether it's relieving restrictions on your company or your business, or investing in the infrastructure of the rail service that you use to do your job, you know, on the rail lines or traveling by rail lines, everything every politician does is trying to buy or win the vote of a a voter. Come on, buying votes is the is the most shallow argument I've ever heard. Anyway, back to this story. It, It drives me nuts when the folks who are screaming the loudest about I paid my student debt. You should pay your student debt. Why should I be responsible as a taxpayer for helping you be irresponsible and decide you took the loans out, you went and got a degree in, I don't know, animal mummy, mummification or some other non-paying major, and you can't afford to pay your debt back. Why should I be the guy picking up your tab? Underwater basket weaving. Brilliant career. Not a lot of job opportunities. I mean, there are those people who think, look, you decided to major in art history. I'm surprised. there. I mean, I'm sorry there are only 35 museum curator jobs in America at any given time that you can't find work to pay back your debt. But that's not what this is about. This isn't about irresponsibility. This is about people buried in debt that no matter how responsible they are, no matter how long they pay these loans back, they never get out from under them. And we're talking about folks that make student loan payments for 10, 20, 30 years after they've graduated. And part of relieving some of that debt is freeing up that money to be entered back into the economy in other ways. It gives people an extra 10 grand, an extra 20 grand to spend on furniture or a new car or, heaven forbid, groceries or the things that drive an economy. You know, folks who, most of the folks who are saying, I paid my student debt, why should I have to pay yours? And I don't mean to be dismissive. Often I know I get that way. Folks who went to college 15, 10 years ago, who paid a quarter of what it costs to go to college now. You know, if you paid 25 grand for your entire four year college education and a kid today is paying 100 grand for his four year college education, have some empathy about the amount of debt he's picked up compared to the amount of debt you had to saddle to get your education, to move your life forward. I think they have framed this completely in the wrong way, this tackling student debt. You know, the the president, you know, it was called the HEROES Act, Higher Education Relief Opportunities for Students, H-E-R-O-S. Everything's got to be some, you know, catchy name. The HEROES Act. It was helping those they deemed that the pandemic was a national emergency and the president had the power under a national emergency to relieve this debt. Folks had lost their jobs, laid off, businesses closed down because of the pandemic. They lost their ability to make their student loan payments. That's that was the onus of President Biden making this effort to relieve student loan debt. You have to understand that it's not about wiping out 100 grand worth of debt or 200 grand worth of debt. It's about 10K. Or twenty, if you're a family, or if you took a different type of loan out, it's not a it's it's barely a drop in the bucket for a lot of people who are still paying student loans off. To me, this was framed completely wrong. This should have been framed, and it's just my opinion here, folks. I, what do I know? This should have been framed in the way of predatory lending, that because that's what student debt is. It's predatory lending. No other loan you can take out in any way, shape, or form, whether you're buying a house, starting a business, whatever, has the kind of onerous interest rates and compounding uh, factors that student loans have. I've got a sister who went to a four-year university, racked up a lot of student debt. She makes a great living. She hasn't missed a payment in her student loan in, I think, almost, almost 20 years. She's paid back more than she borrowed. She still owes more than she initially borrowed that's how this subject should have been attacked you know w- what the government could have done to help students and it wouldn't have been a hey freeloaders irresponsible you know it, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have any way to have that side of the argument what I would have done is I would have wiped out any interest on student debts move from this point forward I would have changed how student loan debt interest rates and penalties are compounded because imagine it's just like any other loan, you know, take out a 20 year mortgage for your, for your education. You are going to have the same value as a home. You're going to have an education, but it's not going to be let you paid more than you borrowed and you still owe more than you borrowed. That is a ridiculous way to expect people to borrow money. And I understand that there's a risk involved for student loans, because that's, that's why the interest rates are so high and that's why the, the factors are so onerous because so many people default. Well, that's a cat chasing its own tail. People default because they're ridiculously interest rates and ridiculously onerous. If they were more reasonable, then folks wouldn't default. You wouldn't need these ridiculous interest rates to keep it because so many people default. That's that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's a circular argument. You know, If they had gone to the Congress – one of the justices today saying, hey, this is a problem that should be solved by Congress. Chief Justice Roberts framed it that way. You know, and there are ideological points of view from both sides of the spectrum being represented by various members of the Supreme Court. You know, and the, and the hey, I got mine, you get yours mentality is, it's, it's beneath us as a country. You know, everybody should have a, a shot at success. If you take out a loan, you pay the loan. Absolutely. But if you take out a loan and you're getting crushed because some of these companies are so ridiculously predatory, maybe we should be looking at that. In fact, uh, one of the justices, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, one of the justices appointed by President Trump, he sided with liberals. She sided with liberals today. Let's look at some of the predatory lendings and some of these companies that are lending on student debt or student loans. Let's look at it from that perspective. So who knows how this will break? Whether student debt relief will actually be allowed to take place or be rejected by the Supreme Court, we'll see how it pl- how plays out. But we should look at it from a more um, you- you know, realistic point of view, a more empathetic point of view, and less of a "Hey, I got mine; go get yours" mentality. I just I don't think it does us any good. It's Kyra Knight. I'm Spike O'Neill. Kevin Deers is on the board. We'll be right back. Born
2: in the USA. You know who's doing this? Oh, I, recognize her voice. I
1: do recognize the voice. It's not Amy lou Harris, is it? It is. Bingo. It is. Nice, Good job. Nice. You know the song? I know. I know. Well, I got it. In front I know of you me. got it me. <laughs> this is "Mansion on the Hill" from yeah. Springsteen's Nebraska yeah, album.
2: Yeah.
1: Wow, this is great. I knew that. Yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of people never got the taste for Springsteen and I totally get that. I totally get that. Um I on the other hand was born on the East Coast and that that's what we were raised upon. That's, I'm from New
2: Jersey. So yeah, so yeah. Me? Blood. I'm from New Jersey. I'm from Jersey.
1: You ever seen John Stewart's induction of Springsteen and the Kennedy Center honors? No, sure. Okay, I? yes. You two anybody who's a Bruce fan or a John Stewart fan, and if you're not a fan of either of those people, you hate me already, so what do <laughs> I care? Um if you get a chance to YouTube, John Stewart and his introduction to his induction of Springsteen into the Kennedy Center honors. You know, they do an honors show every year. I mean, when they when the Kennedy Center honored Led Zeppelin, a yep. heart came out Anna Nancy came out from heart and, and and played Zeppelin music in tribute.
2: They Dave Chappelle recently. Yeah. Yes,
1: yeah. exactly. So they, they every year the presidency, deci- the administration decides who will be honored at the Kennedy Center. Um Springsteen was inducted by John Stewart, and his speech, "I'm from Jersey," is one not one to be missed. Um, and, and I know the folks get tired of hearing me talk about Springsteen, but I would ask folks just to think about the show that 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 you will remember for the rest of your life. I don't care what show it was. You know, maybe you're a, maybe you're a Tom Petty fan, maybe you're an Eagles fan, maybe you're a Garth Brooks fan, maybe you're a Foo Fighters fan. That one show that overdelivered. You went in with sky high expectations. And unrealistically, sky-high expectations, and they still over-delivered. You know, they they just were in the moment. The band was tight as a drum. Everybody, They played the songs. You can't believe they played that song. You, they, you love that song. That's the kind of night I had last night. And I apologize for gushing and for beating that drum and going on and on and on.
2: Spike, mine was this past weekend, too. Mm-hmm. I had a show that did the exact same thing, man. Who'd you it's, see? I saw this band called Botch. They're like a hardcore band from Seattle, and they broke up in two thousand and one. And they said, they, "I never thought that they would get back together." Twenty-one years later, they get back together, sell out the showbox two nights in a row. Thirteen seconds, they go on and just destroy, absolutely crush it. They their songs are very technical, very you know difficult songs, but they just were like, it's like they never. it's like they never stopped. It was incredible. And it was just like, absolutely. It was one of those shows where I didn't pick up my phone to take a, like a shot. I just, I was in the moment. It felt like 2001 again. It was really awesome.
1: I I love hearing that kind of stuff. And, And everybody's got a show like that in their, in their history. They, or I hope everybody does, you know, Matt and I have a really nice relationship about music and about how important music is in our lives and music can change the tone or set the mood or or fix your day. If you're having a tough day, you get home in the right record or the right file CD, whatever. I know I'm a dinosaur with vinyl, but the right the music right track. Yes, could pop in the right a track, and I hate when it goes in the middle of a track. That's always a problem. That's how old I am. I, do, I actually had eight track players, dude. A friend of mine's got a vintage car with an eight track, still a working eight track in the car. And we whenever we we, we see a garage sale, we'll, we used to pop out and stop over. See REO like,
2: Speedwagon, it is. See if
1: folks had you not believe some of the great rock and roll that was put out on A Track. You can find like Zeppelin 3, Zeppelin 4 on A Track. Sticky Fingers by the Stones on A Track. Ario Speedwagon on A Track. Anyway, I digress. I digress. I hope that folks, uh, if anybody went to the show last night, the Springsteen show, I hope you had as good a time as I did. We had Charles Cross on yesterday. Um, rock and roll scholar. I don't know how else to describe Charles Cross. Uh, he was the editor of the Rocket here in town for forever, and he wrote
2: heavier than heaven. The he Kurt Cobain,
1: the consummate oh, yeah. Kurt Cobain. Now he wrote the the, the seminal uh, of, on Heart, on Hendrix. Um, he started the Backstreets fan letter newsletter for Springsteen fans back in the eighties. A kid from Seattle. Um, I spoke to him after the show today, and we were both like incredibly su- pleasantly surprised. By how much we enjoyed the show last night, how, how they over delivered. This is my father's house. Another. Is this Emmy Lou? Did she do the whole Nebraska album? Yeah. Nice. I had no idea this existed. This is great. And uh, Springsteen is one, is from the American songbook, man. Springsteen is yep. a guy, and that's why he took so much grief for the ticket pricing fiasco. Of that dynamic ticket pricing. When you remember me talking months ago about how I wasn't oh, on the show. Yep. And Bruce, you know, Charles Cross called him out. He said, "Look, Bruce and his management have never owned up to the fact that they didn't put a cap on ticket prices, and they priced out the people that had been with them for decades, fans that had been there all along, that helped him build this multi-billion-dollar empire he's built. Those people couldn't afford to go to his own show, and they've and they've never stepped up and owned it, owned the mistake." And that's still painful for a lot of Bruce fans. But like I've said before, I said it earlier today, the fact that some members of Congress couldn't get Taylor Swift tickets for their little granddaughters. That's why we're going to have some change in the ticket industry. That's why Ticketmaster and Live Nation are being hauled before Congress to talk about their oneristic business practices. It's Kyra Knight and Spike Neal, along with Kevin Dears. We'll be right back. At my knee, I
0: broke